Good morning. Welcome to Christchurch. My name is Rob. I'm part of the leadership team here, and I'd like to welcome you here on this Sunday morning. Uh, we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we've been looking at it for a number of weeks now. If you haven't had a chance to hear all the talks, I do recommend you going online and listening to them. Today we're looking at the last part of the Sermon on the Mount, the story that Jesus told uh, a parable about two builders, the wise and the foolish builder. Before I go any further, I just want to throw in an interesting fact about building, something to think about. What do you think is the world record for the quickest house ever built? Have a think. Let me tell you, the world's quickest house was built in only two hours, 52 minutes and 29 seconds. It was done in America. It took 800 people that time to do it, so 800 volunteers. So let's look back at the uh, Seven on the Mount. If you have a Bible, please turn to Matthew chapter 7. We're looking at verse 24 to 29. This is a very well-known story, the, the parable of the wise man and the foolish man. You've probably heard it before. You may have even sung the song as a child. I know in my house, um, my wife and I, we sang that song so many times with our children. Sometimes there's some hilarious results at the end when the, the house of the, of the foolish man goes splat, or in our house, it went bang. But you know what? This story isn't actually supposed to make us laugh. It's quite a challenging story. Jesus' final words in this sermon is a dramatic climax that leaves us with a big question. How will we respond to his words? I want to encourage you today, even if you've heard this story a thousand times, even if you've sung the song so many times yourself, let's come with fresh eyes and fresh ears today. Let's hear what God's saying to us. And while I'm speaking, a little challenge for children at home. Perhaps you might have some Lego or something else you could build with, maybe while I'm speaking or later in the day. Could you have a go at making two houses and then maybe have a chance to, to retell the story yourself later and perhaps send in a photo or a video of you telling the story yourself? Let's read the passage. Luke 7, verse 24. Jesus said, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And when the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does them and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And when the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Now, in the previous section that Sai went through last week, we saw Jesus gave us two choices, choice between two gates and two ways, between two kinds of prophets and even two kinds of disciples. Now Jesus ends his sermon on another choice, two types of foundations. But actually, all these examples are pointing to the same one choice, and that's to choose Jesus or not. Throughout the whole Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has shown his disciples how to live in the kingdom of God in this present age. You see, some see the Sermon on the Mount as simply a set of morals or ethics that we should aim for. If we try to live them, though, in our own strength, then we've missed the point because we've missed Jesus and the whole thing. So this parable of the wise and foolish builders is actually a fitting conclusion to the sermon because it shows us that none of the rest of it matters if we don't have obedience to Jesus himself. 
So let's look at the two builders. In this final parable, Jesus shows us two builders who make two houses. Jesus contrasts the two builders. One is wise, one is foolish. These builders do not represent a believer and an unbeliever. Instead, they represent two people who have heard the same teachings of Jesus. But the wise man responds in obedience, while the foolish one doesn't. We can see they're both interested in Jesus' teaching by their similarities. So we can view them perhaps as two people who go to church, or even two people who claim to be Christian. Firstly, they both build in the same place, like two people who go to the same church. We know this because they they face the same conditions and the same storms. They both want to be there too. The foolish man wasn't forced to build his house there, but he chose to. He longs for the same community. He longs to hear the same teaching. And they both want to enjoy the same blessings and security of salvation. They also build the same types of houses. The only difference we're shown here is the foundation. So we can assume that everything else is exactly the same. The same doors, the same windows, the same roof. And it's a bit like two people, perhaps the same, they, they may act in the same way, interact with each other, interact with others in the same way. They may spend their money and their time in the same way. They may serve the, the same way in church. They may have the same knowledge of the Bible or perhaps even pray the same way. And this is our first challenge of this parable that Jesus gives us. If Jesus is teaching the importance of doing, how can we recognize a true believer when both the wise and foolish builders seem to be doing all the same things? Something I came across recently is what theologians call the visible and the invisible church. Let me explain. The visible church is the church as we see it, as humans, the people we can count as Christians, which is quite ironic as I stand here in in an almost empty church. But if we could count how many people are in our church, that would be the visible church. Perhaps if people were to be asked in a survey to tick the box and say they were Christian. So we could count at any time how many Christians there are in any place in the world. That's the visible church. But the invisible church is actually a different count. It's the count that, that God himself would make. See, God alone knows the state of our hearts, and he alone knows who is saved. I wonder how similar the counts would be. Sai showed us last week that some may say, Lord, Lord, but won't enter the kingdom of God because Jesus didn't know them as true disciples. So the key to this parable is not what the house looks like, not how the house is built, but the key is what's below the surface. It's the foundations. Let's look at the two foundations, the rock and the sand. It's the only difference between these houses. The wise man built his house on the rock. The foolish man built his house on the sand. It's a very subtle difference, but it's such a vital difference. And because it's the only difference between these two houses, Jesus is showing us here how important that is. Let's look at the foolish man first. Why would the foolish man build on the sand? I don't know about you, but I've always wondered this about this story. Why would you build on sand? It seems obviously foolish. When I think of sand, I think of beautiful sandy beaches, golden fine sand, and of course, you couldn't build on sand like that. Or closer to home, Pevensey Bay, perhaps. We love going out for walks on Pevensey Bay when the sand is shown, when the tide's out. And again, you'd be foolish to try and build on on that kind of sand, that wet sand. And again, you only have a few hours before the tide comes in and washes it all away. 
But the context of Jesus' story is actually different. You see, around the Sea of Galilee, during the hot summers, the sand would be so dry, its surface would be solid, almost rock hard. So according to the story, it does seem possible to build on sand there. But it won't last. You see, on the surface, it seems fine. But surface deep is not enough when you want to build a house. Now, although we see the foolish man didn't have a foundation, we still see that he was building on something, the sand. So if the house represents his life, the sand must represent what he's building his life on. Now, this could be a worldly confidence, things like money or power, a job, but these won't last. Now, while I was at university, I had the opportunity to study in Finland for three months. Uh, if you've not been to Finland, it's a beautiful country, but its winters are long and extremely cold. When I was there, the temperature on average most days was about minus 10. It was incredibly cold. Now, I got to know some other international students while I was there, and I would go and visit them. And they, a number of them lived on the other side of a beautiful but large lake. It was quite a walk to go all the way around the lake to, their, to where they were staying. The quickest way to their place was straight across the lake. See, the time I was there in the winter, the lake was frozen solid. So I was able to walk on the ice and straight across the lake. Now, if you've never done it before, it's quite nerve-wracking to step out onto an icy lake. I took confidence seeing cars driving across the lake. So I thought, if the, if the ice can take them, it can take me. But even so, I would still be thinking in my head sometimes, how thick is this ice? Will it hold me? What if it cracks? I'm a long way from solid ground. By the time I left Finland in the spring, there were warning signs all around the lake saying, do not go on, because the ice was beginning to thaw. So what was once solid was now a dangerous place to walk on. You see, putting our confidence in worldly things is a lot like walking on ice or building on sand. They seem to be fine, but they are only temporary. So the sand may be referring to worldly things, but actually a better understanding of this parable would be to see that Jesus is pointing to religious confidences, trusting in our religious achievements, our spiritual experiences, our ministries, perhaps how we serve in church. At the end of the passage, we find another comparison, but this time it's the crowd who are comparing. They're comparing Jesus with their scribes, the scribes with the religious leaders. Now, the scribes were experts in the law. They knew what was expected of them, and they lived out every part of it to the letter. Now, using Jesus' parable, it would seem that they are building their houses perfectly. Everyone could see all the things they did and hear all the things they said. But actually, the scribes were the foolish builders. You see, their religion was only surface deep. On the outside, they seemed to be righteous, but the foundational faith was missing, and they didn't accept Jesus' teaching. What about the wise man? As I said, the only difference between these houses is what they're building on. Jesus said the wise man built on a rock. I don't know about you, but I've always pictured this story with one house on the sand and one house on a rock. But that isn't actually the case. As we've seen, both houses look identical from the outside, so both are in the same sandy place. Luke also tells this story in Luke 6, and he gives us a little extra detail that helps us. In Luke 6, 46 to 49, Jesus said, He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on a rock. We can see that the wise man took time and effort to dig down through the sand into the foundations of the rock. 
Last week, we learned about the wide and narrow gate. We learned that the narrow way is harder, like digging down to the rock. As I said earlier, we enjoy walks along Pevensey Bay. And over the years, a number of the houses built up on the shingle have been extended, and some houses have been completely demolished to make room for bigger houses. And I'm always amazed at the amount of work and effort that they must put in to hold back the shingle while they dig down to make new foundations. But they know that if they didn't take that time, the house wouldn't survive those conditions. For George and I, one of our favorite TV programs is Grand Designs. I think we've watched every single episode. And we're always fascinated by some of the most amazing buildings that people uh, construct, and sometimes in the most challenging places too. Perhaps up a steep hill, right by the edge of a river,、uh, halfway up the cliffs. Now, if you've not seen it before, more often than not, on Grand Designs, the buildings go over time and usually over budget. And compromises have to be made, but they rarely compromise on the foundations. You see, they may end up with a cheaper kitchen or less furniture, but they never cut back on the foundations. Would you live in a house without any foundations? Absolutely not. That's because foundations are vital. Whether it's a small extension or a grand design, it's not the building that matters, but what you're building on that's going to make it stand. See, the wise man knew the importance of digging down to the rock. But what does this mean to us? What is Jesus saying? Jesus says the wise man who builds his house on the rock is the same as a person who hears his words and does them. So the wise man is the one who is obedient to Jesus. So Jesus is saying that he himself is the rock. So those listening to Jesus at the time, this would be quite familiar with them. Scriptures about God were in the Old Testament as scriptures that, that, that showed God as the Rock Himself. In one、uh, Samuel two verse two, it says, "There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God." In Psalm eighteen, David writes, "I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge." My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. You see, in these contexts, a rock would refer to a, a rocky place, perhaps a hillside with、uh, cracks and caves where people would go to hide for protection. So God is described as a rock, meaning He's a place of refuge, of security, of safety. In Psalm 40, David writes, "I waited patiently for the Lord; He inclined to me and heard my cry." He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet on a rock, making my steps secure. This is perhaps a more direct example of the rock that Jesus was talking about. You see, David wrote about trusting in God, a God who he could, who has set his feet on a rock and made his steps secure. Jesus is saying he is that rock too. Those who listen to him and put their trust in him will find refuge and security. You see, it's not the strength of the house that makes it stand, but the rock beneath that makes the house strong. I just want to pause though for a moment and say what this parable is not about. Now, although the parable is clearly about hearing and doing, it's not teaching us that we can be right with God by what we do. This is known as salvation by works. The idea that if you do enough of the right things. If you do enough good things, perhaps even enough things that are in the Bible, that somehow you'll be right with God. He'll accept you because you've earned it. 
but that would not be in line with biblical teaching. In Ephesians, Paul writes, For by grace you have been saved, by faith. And this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not the result of works. Yes, Jesus calls us to do many things and live in a certain way and follow his example, but this is in response to the most important thing we can do, to put our faith in him. Knowing his death and resurrection is the only way to be right with God. You see, the gospel is what we need to hear, and to surrender to Jesus is what we need to do. How we build on our our lives is the evidence of that foundation and evidence of the relationship we have with God. John Stott writes this, The question is not whether we say nice, polite, orthodox, enthusiastic things to or about Jesus, nor whether we hear his words, listening, studying, pondering, and memorizing till our minds are stuffed with his teaching, but whether we do what we say and do what we know. In other words, whether the lordship of Jesus, which we profess, is one of our life's major realities. Let's look now at the storm. Jesus said the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew on the houses, and the house on the rock stands, but the house on the sand falls. First is, we've seen the two builders are in the same place, and they seem to be building similar houses, and now we see they both face the same storm. This is important to note. Both the wise and the foolish, the one who rests in Jesus and the one who doesn't, will both face difficulties. Also, the storm can't be prevented, can't stop it. Lastly, the storm comes suddenly too. No one knew it was coming. Hendrickson says the foolish builder, Hendrickson says of the foolish builder, that he builds as if bright and sunny days will never cease. Remember, he's building on the sand that seems hard enough at the time, but only in the summer seasons. He gives no thought of the future. It reminds me of the great storm of 1987. I was only seven at the time, but I remember it vividly. I'm sure many of you remember too the destruction that it caused, especially in this part of the country. But poor Michael Fish, he will never live it down, will he? If you've not heard of him, he was a BBC weatherman who famously said the day before that there wouldn't be a storm. He, they generally didn't know how bad it would be. More recently, we've seen a number of storms, haven't we? Storm Kira, Storm Dennis, to name a few. We were warned that they were coming, and so people were able to prepare themselves, get sandbags, flood defences, tie things down, secure things so that they won't be damaged. When we know a storm is coming, we prepare, don't we? And Jesus is giving us a clear warning in this parable that a storm is coming. But what storm? Firstly, we can interpret these storms as storms of life that we face. It's not hard to imagine a storm right now, is it, in our current climate? climate with the uh, coronavirus pandemic. With so much around us, it seems so uncertain, constantly changing. There seems to be wave after wave of challenge to most. And it came so suddenly. And I will just say on that point, if there's anything that we can pray for you about or any support we can give you as a church, please get in contact with us. See, storms can be any difficult times that we face. Trials, temptations, bereavements, In fact, anything that has the potential to knock us down is a storm. For me, there have been times that I've faced where I would say they were storms in my life. Uh, When our children were younger, we couldn't make ends meet. Our financial situation was, was really challenging and work was tough. And it felt like we were being battered by a storm daily. But I can honestly say that it was our faith in God 
that got us through. We really had to dig deep in prayer and trust in God's provision. But let's be honest, I don't know about you, but every day we can face challenges, temptations, frustrations, things that test our faith. So every day we can face storms. But more than just the storms of life, Jesus is referring to to death and further still judgment day, neither of which any of us can avoid. So Jesus' story about these two builders should challenge how we face storms in our daily lives. But even more so, it should challenge our hope for eternity. Like the wise man, will we be standing before Jesus on the day of judgment? Or like the, the, the foolish man, will we be facing eternal destruction? It's a challenge. Jesus shows us in this story that storms expose the foundations. It's only after the storm where we can see the truth of what we're building our lives on. But surely then it would be too late, wouldn't it? You see, this story of the wise and foolish builder is actually a story of mercy. Jesus is hammering home the point to us, showing us the ruin that a person will face if they choose to build their life on anything else. But there's still time to choose. So as I end, we come to the main point, the two choices that we have. Will we hear what Jesus has said and respond in obedience to him? Or do we hear what he said and do nothing? That's our choice. That's what the whole of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount has been pointing towards. These are Jesus' final words in the sermon that leave us with these two choices. How did the crowd respond at the end? Let's look. It says that they were astonished at his teaching. I don't know about you, but I imagine this moment when Jesus gets to the end of his sermon and the crowd are just silent, mouth, mouth open, just staring at each other, amazed. It says they were astonished in awe and they were dumbstruck. This was not a performance where the crowd cheer and demand an encore from him. This was not a Braveheart-style battle cry to stir up the crowd and make them run after him into war. No, they're left in awe of him. They clearly heard every word, didn't they? And by their reaction, we can see they've never heard anything like this before. But we aren't told much about what they did with what they heard. With what they heard. But we do get a glimpse in chapter 8. The beginning of chapter 8, we see a leper, and he comes straight to Jesus. He kneels before him and asks Jesus to make him clean, and Jesus touches him and heals him instantly. See, this man made his choice, and he made his choice quickly. He knew that Jesus was his only hope. He humbled himself before Jesus and put his trust in him, and he wasn't disappointed. So what about you? Will you humble yourself before Jesus and put him first in your life? Or will you build your life on something else, hoping the storm won't come? See, God has a grand design for your life. Are you willing to trust him as your foundation? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this story. Thank you, Jesus, that you showed us that we have a choice. And thank you, Jesus, that we can see that in you, we see we have a rock in whom we can put our lives. We know you are the rock in whom we find refuge and security and strength. We thank you, Jesus, if we come to you in obedience, you will receive us with open arms. We thank you, Jesus, that we can put our lives in your hands. Help us to build our lives on you and nothing else. Help us to trust in you when we face storms. 
Help us to trust that you will always be there as you promised to be. Amen.